Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. We are so happy to welcome Jenny True, who has a really wonderful, fun, and important, it's hard to be fun and important at the same time, book coming out in May. I know you've been all asking and begging for us to talk more about nonfiction and nonfiction publishing, and that's something that we made a commitment to a lot of you that we're going to do. So I'm so pleased to introduce Jenny True and her new book. You Look Tired, An Excruciatingly Honest Guide to New Parenthood is coming out. Let me read you the back. Can you handle the truth? Plenty of new parent guides cover the basics of breastfeeding, bonding, sleep, and getting back in shape. You Look Tired is a totally honest, tell-it-like-it-is guide for new moms who don't want any more advice. Writing as Jenny True on her excruciatingly personal mommy blog and her Dear Jenny column on Romper, Jenny has been called the postpartum feelings doula as she doles out her unique mix of humor, rage, and encouragement with a smidge of practical advice, including birth hurts, uh, prenatal yoga is a waste of time, Jabba the Hutt was just postpartum, explains so much, and open letter to people who say, looks like you have your hands full. So you can obviously see why we are so excited to have Jenny. Welcome, Jenny. Jenny, tell us about yourself and your work. Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your wonderful podcast. So I wrote a book called You Look Tired, an excruciating honest guide to new parenthood. I got an MFA about 10 years after I graduated from college, and it was a three-year program. And for the third year of that program, I was uh, getting divorced and having a fabulous spiral into despair. And then when I came out on the other side of that, woke up at age 39, single again, and all of a sudden having kids became very important to me. And I decided that the way to deal with that was to go online and to start a blog in my authentic voice about the complete debacle that that experience was and that that's the way that this blog started so it started out very small so tell us how you moved from blogger to published author I did a few things that I would recommend to writers who are facing the same situation which is one I started panicking (laughs) and (laughs) necessary first step I mean you have to have some sort of motivation and fear and shame are they motivate me in equal parts. So at first I started writing, you know, short little pieces about these like really crazy okay Cupid dates that I had and did meet somebody within a couple months. And six months after meeting him, we got pregnant and then we got married. And this all happened within the space of a year and under a year. Oh my so, gosh, so hold on. did you blog about the whole thing? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah Yeah. so that and and that's that's the thing I never I like it's one of these things that I really couldn't have anticipated happening but it provided endless material 
but it really rapidly became, instead of a blog about dating, it became a blog about getting pregnant by this guy, <laughs> <laughs> moving into his house, giving up my favorite apartment in the entire world in East Oakland and getting married and becoming a stepmother all in this like really short period of time. So tell us what your numbers though. So tell us like, so you're writing and you are, you're basically a sideshow where you are like <laughs> once one person and now you're another person right. and you're going through these steps in rapid pace, you know? So, so how do, how, what, how did your numbers, like, how did they grow? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm an extrovert. I'm an outgoing person. I'm, I'm really not shy, but at the very beginning, I, I had some sort of fear about writing such like balls out descriptions of this really personal stuff in my own voice, a lot of swear words and, and, and all that. So I was only sharing my blog with people that I knew, which is why it's a little bit of a joke that I had a pseudonym because I was, I was using a pseudonym, but I was only sharing my blog with people that I knew so they knew it was me. But in the beginning, I was thrilled when I would see that on my WordPress blog, 13 people had read a blog post. More, you know, more friends and colleagues were reading. And then after my son was born, I wrote this blog post that went viral. So there was a blog post called Ginger Fruit Bowl and your baby advice. And <laughs> There's this one baby book, I don't know if you've heard of it, called What to Expect When You're Inspecting. Of oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. The classic. So uh, what I say in my book is that when I was pregnant, I took one look at this book and threw it in a garbage can in a parking garage. <laughs> where I was like, what are these people on? It was this completely unrealistic version of motherhood that equated the birth of your child with you suddenly being robbed of all of this time you could be spending cleaning your house. And there were all these notes in it for how to like keep your immaculate house clean, as well as this ridiculous illustration of how to keep your body in shape. And it was this woman who had taken this like 1800s baby buggy out to some public space. And she had on like biker shorts, and socks and brogues. And she was doing like leg lifts, holding the buggy. And I was like, are you joking? So I took a picture of that and just like ripped on what to expect. And that post went over like a hundred thousand hits. So that it was kind of a, it was a turning point as far as my personal platform, because I had more readers on in multiple places, but then also Romper, reached out to me because of that to ask me to write a piece for them. And I couldn't really think of what I would write for them that I wouldn't also put on my blog. Like I couldn't think of, like I didn't want to do a reported piece. So I just pitched them on an advice column and lo and behold, they made like a really bad decision and decided to make me their advice columnist. So all of a sudden I had this like bigger platform. It's so funny what this book is. It's conversations you have with your girlfriend how come no one talked about this right well that was kind of the point of the book that actually was the framework for the book because I I inhaled pregnancy and parenting books and websites and 
we love them as new parents. Like we want to, we want to know, we want to do things right. We want as much information as possible, but then you get pregnant and you have a kid and you realize there is so much that is universal about those experiences that still, even with the internet, people don't talk about, or it something happens in a child's development that's so quick that nobody thought to like write it down. So I thought, you know, at least that have a humorous guide to all of the indignities that go along with the beautiful experience of being pregnant and having a kid. Mm. So one thing I love about your work is the humor. Did you make sure your book proposal was funny too? I did. I did a lot of research about book proposals. What I read and that really clicked for me was that the book proposals that were the most successful, A, reflected inherently the book that they were pitching and also were a little bit different, you know, not so wildly different that they were printed on colored paper, you know, nothing so facile as that, but I really made sure that it was funny on the first page. And that's exactly what my agent said. I totally snagged her because not only did she think it was funny, but the reason she laughed was she had just had a baby, which was <laughs> incredibly lucky where she was really hormonal and she got my proposal at the same time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I tried to make it funny. I was a blogger at a point and you know, my voice, I can, I can lean into humor pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And I remember someone said to me, oh, you just let humor get in the way of what you're really talking about. And I don't feel like you did mm-hmm. that here. Like, I feel like it's hysterical but there's still a really warmth to it. And, you know, it, it definitely feels like you're sitting down with a friend or like, this is a secret, you know? And I appreciate that. That's just a really interesting thing to kind of pull off. I think, because there is so much done around pregnancy and in this journey, but you walk the line between both really well. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and I think the reason I appreciate that so much is that that was, there's an, there's intent behind that. So, Mm -hmm. so when I sort of suddenly switched from being a blogger to being an advice columnist, I like slowed my role where I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm about to have a huge jump in my reach. And I'm just really aware of how this experience of becoming a parent has been transformative and I want to make sure I'm doing the least amount of harm possible. Like I want to go into this, not throwing any more advice or listicles at parents to, you know, quote unquote, help them, but to really shove them over the edge with anxiety of about all the things they should be doing, but can't possibly do. My goal is to is to connect, to validate parents' real experience. And my my number one thing is I don't go after other moms. So when I'm writing, especially when I'm giving advice, but definitely with this book, my my goal is to just remove anything that is gonna target someone. So if it's in there, it is unintentional and it missed a fine tooth home. So from the beginning with this book proposal, my intent was for this book to be 
inclusive or as one of my sensitivity slash equity readers clarified for me was non-exclusive. So based on my demographic information alone, I'm white, I'm cisgender, I'm in a heteronormative relationship, middle class, middle aged. It pains me like I'm 44, but I'm <laughs> that is my thing. Some people are going to not be bothered by that and they're going to come to the book and they're going to come to the voice in the book and other people are not going to come to that at all. But with my intent in writing this was that it would not intentionally exclude any other voices. Mm -hmm. So as far as the writing process, it was really fast. I had a six month deadline, but when I got the draft out, I started being able to collaborate with people. So the other voices in the book are, were deliberate choices. People either from my circle or who I had the benefit of reaching out to become friends with who are, who can share their stories outside of my scope. So people of different races, people of different levels of ability, the whole spectrum of queer parenting. There are a number of gender non-conforming and non-binary parent, parents who are represented in the book. And, and part of the process also involved hiring two friends to be sensitive, sensitivity or equity readers. So it's something that is hopefully not so much of a cudgel but I hope succeeds in making people feel like they are, their experiences are seen and represented. I love how you talk about the bigger social issues in the book too. You know, I think you do such a good job of balancing, making it really funny, but making it also talk about big stuff as well. And one thing I appreciated is some juxtapositions you make, like you talk about all the things that American society doesn't do for parents. You know, there's not childcare, there's not healthcare, there's not, you know, any promise that your job will be back after you go on unpaid maternity leave. But then they tell mothers, oh, you know, it's all right, just self-care. <laughs> um, oh my God. <laughs> and then the whole thing about, you know, instead of talking about division of labor, they talk about cleaning hacks. I, I thought it was so interesting how you brought those things together and in doing so made a really good point. Well, thank you very much. I feel like I've succeeded. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like at the at the end of the day for me personally, I can write a really angry book and I have consumed those books. But my way of going about approaching those subjects is to never let them go. But hopefully to poke at the absolute craziness, ridiculousness of them. So yeah, it's not like self-care. That is my, uh, that is my thing. It is that the whole, the whole concept of self-care makes me bonkers because suggestions for how to take care of yourself when the question should be, how are you going to take care of me? Right. <laughs> Just like it floors me every time. And there's, I mean, there's a whole list, you know, exactly what you said. There's no universal pre, uh, prenatal care, postpartum care. We need to look around the, us in the world and say, how, who can we help out? And I think like in publishing, that is, you know, like what one of the things we do here at the Manuscript Academy, where it's like, how can, how can we help you create something that's going to help other people? Like stories right. heal and stories are conversation points. And I would, I would love a prenatal group to have this book and, and be like, wow. I do think I'm not the only one right now 
And it's such a relief. I do think that we're in a cultural moment where there is some serious pushback against this idealization of motherhood, new parenthood. It's not just motherhood. Like right off the bat, not everybody identifies as a mother. Mm -hmm. Some male identifying people who have born children do not identify as mothers. There is so much more diversity of experience and engagement with the reality of the diversity of experiences that is happening that is incredibly Mm. powerful. And there's a lot of ways to go about that. And I do think that especially we as white women have a responsibility to use the voice that we have in this space because it still is dominated by people like us to use our resources to amplify and support those that diversity it's definitely something that you're doing on your podcast for example and through your organization and i i i will say as I am, you know, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but it it enriches our own understanding of our experiences and it creates a place for all of us. Thank you. What is your superpower? I am really good at taking things personally. (laughs) No one's ever said that. (laughs) I bet it's true of a lot of of people though. (laughs) So one thing I wanted to ask about, because I like to read these books for I mean, I I am child-free by choice. A lot of my mm-hmm. friends are, but a lot of my friends are not. And I never know how to help when I am mm-hmm. that person who mm-hmm. is watching something happen and I can't understand the context for it. So do you have any advice for those of us who happen to see a pregnant person out and about and maybe we think we could do something to help, but we're not sure? Do you have any advice on that front? I mean, there are, you're like, there's so many relationships. There's relationships between your friends and then like there's relationships with strangers. And, and I think, you know, but like reading this book, I think it's not even just, you know, pregnant people. It is, it helps you understand all people, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's everything. I think that if you are in the U S one of the things to understand is that there's always going to be a lot of attention paid to the baby and to the fetus as it should be. I love fetuses, I love babies. <laughs> but there is a, a significant difference between the care that is shown to the fetus and to the baby and the care that is shown to the mother. And of course, as we know by now, that there is a really significant difference between the quality and the quantity of care shown to mothers depending on their race, their Mm -hmm. gender and socioeconomic status. So as far as seeing someone out and about, I think that if it's someone that you don't know, I would respect boundaries, but every mom is different. So I remember when I was pregnant, on one hand, I felt like a goddess where people, (laughs) you know, it's like you're the, you're the center of attention. People notice you. But at the same time, I got really weirded out because people that I didn't know would smile at me. And I'm a smiler. Like I I always smile first. I want to let people know I'm not intimidating. I will talk to you. I'm the annoying person on the bus who wants to like make a conversation. But it weirded me out because I knew that the reason they were smiling at me was they meant well, but it was because they were only seeing this one thing about me. So I always felt a little bit strange about that. I, I, I even felt less strange about people touching me. 
Which but is also in the book. Right, exactly. <laughs> How <laughs> much that's another thing. Touch you? Well, well, people, some people are really bothered by that. And I wanted to mention it as far as your, your friends who are pregnant and who are postpartum, I think that number one, childcare, 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 <laughs> offering childcare, offering to do things for them, not inserting yourself, but being concrete in what you're offering. So, you know, they say this about other kinds of offers, but, you know, instead of saying, Hey, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Don't, don't do that. Offer something concrete when you're available. And if somebody says, no, that's one thing, keep offering the kinds of practical help, house cleaning, meals, that sort of thing, but definitely just checking in, celebrating their baby, letting them talk about the reality of their bodies having been completely destroyed <laughs> by the birth process. I, like, I remember right after I had a baby, probably the first couple of weeks, it might've gone on for longer. I literally could not talk to people who came over because they would talk and I wouldn't, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Why, like, why are you talking? I just, I couldn't, it was so bizarre. I couldn't relate to anybody at all. I was in some kind of like altered state, definitely sleep deprived. Yeah. Make sure if you see somebody who's obviously pregnant that you give up your place in the bathroom line. Can you tell us a little bit more about your approach to voice in your book? Cause your voice is so clear. And I know that that's something that so many people talk about, like, oh, I like this book because of voice. I don't like it because of voice, et cetera. So like, do you have any tips for your fellow writers out there? I'm going to tell you what any other writer and any other writing teacher is going to tell you, which is that you have to practice. You have to do it. You have to engage with you constantly. Yeah, you can read some books and yeah, you can take some classes. These are all fabulous ways to build your practice, but you just have to do it. So if you are going to commit time to having a regular writing practice, you are going to have to give some things up. So I don't shower. I, it's very good to make sure that you have a full-time job with good benefits where they don't really know what you do so that if you have like a Word document or a Google doc open on your computer and you're like working on your short story that they won't, they don't really know that you're digging around at work. It's a really good idea not to have kids, not to have a family. God, there's so many things. Oh, but then especially if you have a family to make sure that you don't really spend very much time with them. Because if you, you know, you don't want to develop too close of a relationship because they have to understand what is important, which is to write about them. And you just, you can't do both. I love your worksheets. I think the worksheets are so much fun. And one of them starts with make a list of household and childcare tasks you've been meaning to do. And then below that, it says, why am I the one making the list? Can you talk a little bit more about mental load? Right. Okay. So mental load is the invisible work of maintaining a household that involves a lot of things that 
require a lot of mental space, such as asking, negotiating, planning, following up, deciding, researching. And it's all of this incredible energy that it takes to keep a household running smoothly. And it disproportionately falls on women. I should qualify that. It disproportionate in cisgender heteronormative relationships, it disproportionately falls on women. So it leads to people rage. rage thank you. <laughs> like, that's my house. It leads to rage. <laughs> I mean, thank God, thank God, we have a woman vice president. I, it moved me personally to tears when Kamala Harris said that. The job losses in December alone, 100% of job losses in December of 2020 were women, mm. that it was a national crisis. To have it put in those terms that even with feminist partners, if they happen to be men, they haven't gotten the message. It's not ingrained that we can't do it all. We can't do the work we can't do the child care we can't do the household stuff but we're gonna try because we're on autopilot do you have any thoughts as to why you know of all the people in all the world we haven't figured it out yet yeah I I don't have any kind of a fantasy that if I moved out of my house and had a different home in which no one walked on the carpet in shoes and I was in charge of everything. I don't have any fantasy that my partner would live any differently than the way he was living when I moved into his house. He doesn't, he doesn't see it. It doesn't cross his radar screen, but also seriously, it was not that long ago that women did not have the right to vote. It was the 1970s before women were allowed to have credit cards in their name. I mean, this is all very, very recent history. And in the history of this entire country, we still have not had a woman president. So it's not as if everything else has developed so quickly and this societal norm is way behind. I think we're pretty much on pace. What is your next project? I mean, you don't have to tell us everything, but what's your next theme? Like, where do you go from here? Right. Well, I do want to write another book. I think that the market is lacking funny books about menopause. Mm. And I got really excited a few months ago because I thought I was going through perimenopause. And then it turned out it was a false alarm. So I have to wait. I can't work on this book until I go through menopause. And what I really would like to do, honestly, in all of this, I have not had the bandwidth to keep up on my blogs. I'm still keeping copious notes on my kid, but that is the most fun part. So I think after this, I would love to take some time off to write some more and then make my next move. And do you have any general advice for nonfiction writers? Mm, I think... For nonfiction writers, every writer and writing teacher is going to tell you to write with your authentic voice, especially for moms 
and for new parents, a lot of what that means is getting very in touch with your what with what your real experience and your real feelings about something are. So, you know, for example, on my blog, I wrote about how my son took his first steps and he was 11 months old. And I had been indoctrinated after watching probably hundreds of videos <laughs> over the years of parents, kids first steps and what a joyous occasion it was. I was so sad, <laughs> so upset. They were like the, the part that was proud of him for walking on time or even early was so small, but my real reaction to that was this deep grief that this time in his life that I had just sort of gotten used to with those few steps was just over. And I, you know, it took me, it took me a while to be happy about it, but I didn't take a video and I didn't write about how I was happy about it. So I think that if you're going to be a nonfiction writer, you have to get really comfortable with the reality that we don't really have one emotion at a time that the, what makes your reality interesting is the complexity and the nuance. So you have to get very comfortable with being very honest with yourself and with other people to make that kind of connection. So we would love to give away some of your fabulous books. Jessica, how many should we give away? Let's give away three copies. Just give away three copies. And for fun, instead of, you know, doing something normal to request the book, how about the first three people who say a code word in the subject line of the email to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com get a copy? What should the code word be, Jenny? Indignity. Indignity. That is amazing. Okay. So send the word indignity in the subject line. And then the first three people get a copy of Jenny's book. And when is your publication date? May 4th. Yes. So after May 4th, you will get a copy. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a true delight. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.